Welcome to Deacon's Pod. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate deacons, Deacon Drew and Deacon Tom. Hello, this is Deacon Drew. Hello, this is Deacon Tom. So here we are today again at Deacon's Pod. This is Deacon Drew, and I'm with my friends, Tom and Dennis. Yeah, Deacon's Pod, live and doing well as we talk about our spiritual growth and our challenges that we face today. From the studios of the Isaac Hecker Network, we proudly present... No? No, I think okay. that's fine. I think that's really okay, good. I'm trying. The problem is we're in three different studios. I know. Mm-hmm. If, you can call, if you can call your office slash guest room a studio. It's <laughs> right. the work of the spirit. Brings us all mm. together no matter where we are. But yes, well, I'll say this. We have the East Coast covered. Right yes. now, because yes. at least only one of you are in Florida. And Tom, I will not be long. Then Tom will come to Florida. Yeah. And I will cover New England. And I'll have to handle it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got whacked last night when I was, well, Tom, you guys both know this. We were on the Deacon Affiliate meeting there on Zoom. Right. Paulist Deacon Affiliate. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, good old Father I, Frank. I lost power. I lost internet because of the weather. So we had a little, it was very short. So that was nice. But, but yeah, we. But here's the thing about our spiritual life. While it might be raining outside, it's sunny in our hearts. No, not always. Okay. (laughs) Well, then let's talk about that. Let's start off with that a little bit. Let's talk about our spiritual lives today. And Dennis, that's a good entree. When it's not sunny in your heart, tell us a little bit about what you do to try to overcome that. Well, my first thought, one of the most profound things that I ever came across, it's the opening line of one of Merton's books. I think it's the ascent to truth. And the opening line is, a spiritual life is first of all a life, period. And I had to close the book because most of us have in our mind all these wacky things that a spiritual life is, oh, you got to be floating on a cloud. You got to be always happy. You got to be, and it's, gee, I'm doing it wrong. No, spiritual life is a life. It's got ups. It's got downs. It's got just taking care of business and days when you're phoning it in. And you set yourself up for disappointment by being unrealistic. And I remember that. It was just one line. But it's a great place to start, that this is a life. And today on my feed, on my phone, they had another quote from Merton that basically said, your life is either all spiritual or it's not spiritual. It all depends on what your life is geared towards, and you, you will become what you desire most. But yeah, I thought it might be, you know, people have asked questions and we talk a lot about spirituality and we have a lot of people on here and some heavy hitters and all that. And I just thought that people might like to know how we do this. I was always interested in that. There's the theory, but yay. So what do you do? How do you do that? How do you have this relationship with God in your life on a daily basis in the ups and downs? So I thought we would just let our hair down, which... I don't have any of anymore, so two, 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 of us, two of us don't have any here. <laughs> in, a manner, <laughs> in a manner of speaking, after a fashion. And just share with our friends here, our pod pals, the truth, the ugly truth. Because some of them might ha- harbor illusions about us. Oh, these are deacons, and they're, they're talking them, to all right? these Catholic right. heavy hitters, and they, <laughs> they know the secret handshake, and it's, it ain't no secret handshake. So I thought maybe a little transparency, a little truth in advertising, we could let people in on, on how we negotiate the day-to-day in the presence of God, how we make this work. 
So, all right. So I well, thought we could do today is go through our top spiritual practices in order. That's good, Dennis. We've opened the door. Why don't you w- walk us in? Okay. Talk to us well, about it. Well, what yours. I was also going to suggest is that if you can recall, maybe you can tell us where you picked this up. So if you could remember where you came across this or unpack it a little bit, not just give a list of things, but show, let folks walk around it and see what it really looks like. So what is your number one spiritual practice on a daily basis? Who wants to go first? I'm going to volunteer you. Oh, you want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, you go first. He's going to use them all up, Drew. You know that. Wow. No, I'm going to make a prediction here. I'm going to make a prediction here. There's at least two things that I think we'll name that we all do. But I'll wait to that. I like it. Those little intrigues. I'm writing it down now. Okay. Okay. So my number one practice is the presence of God, which is a great little book and a little book for those of you who are non-readers, little book, easy book. Deceptively simple book written by a Carmelite cook, a brother who cooked in a Carmelite monastery, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. You can get it on Amazon, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. As best as I can remember, I read about it somewhere, and someone else had mentioned it or something, and I said, oh, let me look at it, which I don't know about you guys. That's the key to my, my own growth, that A lot of people, back to the secret handshake, there is no secret handshake. What's the difference between these three deacons and these people that are saying, oh, I don't get anything out of church? Here's the difference. When we picked up the bulletin and it said, there's a retreat, we said, maybe I'll go on it. And we did. And when we were on that retreat, maybe God touched us in a way that he hadn't before. And we said, I should spend more time. And then we start hanging out with these kinds of people, and they say, have you read this book? And we take the book, and we say, no, I haven't. And we read it. And these breadcrumbs, and all of a sudden, down the road, you're spiritual. How did that happen? It happens by showing up when there's a knock on the door in your life. And the other people that don't, my experience, what I know is they're just like the people that say, oh, I couldn't go on a retreat, what, for a day and a half, two days? My God, my family would die without me for take a weekend and make myself available to God. It's okay. Well, you get out of it what you put into it. So mine is the practice of the presence of God. And I think I got it from one of those kind of situations. Someone much more spiritual than me mentioned it. And what it is, it's basically the, it's very simple. It's basically the idea that you can't not be in the presence of God. You would cease to exist. You wouldn't die. You'd just vanish from reality. God is keeping you alive and keeping you in mind and created you from nothing and all that stuff that we all pretty much know. But this was the story of a Carmelite brother, and his whole thing was they would say, okay, brother Lawrence, it's time for your retreat. He'd be like, what do I need a retreat for? Well, everybody needs a retreat. You've got to get away from the everyday. And he said, I'm with God in my kitchen. I don't need to go on a stinking retreat. When I turn my omelet in the pan to make you breakfast, I do it for the glory of God. When I light the stove, I do it in the presence of God. I'm always with God. I don't need to go over somewhere else to find God. So this is something that's really practicable. And of course, part of that might be during the day I talk to God. 
one of the things I do personally is often when I'm in situations, the way I practice this is I just, and you wouldn't even notice I was doing it. I just look to the side a little bit. I look up and I roll my eyes at God. Really? This is what I got to deal with right now? Really? This is the best we can do. Okay. So that's, it's like, I know you're there and you think this is funny or what? This is what's going through my mind. But anyways, the practice of the presence of God, and it's a great little story and it's very simple. It's just, you got to chew on it, think about it and incorporate it. And that's what I do all day, every day. That is, so that's why that's number one, because that's the one I spend the most time on every day to get as I go through my day. Yeah, there are parts of that I think work themselves into our lives in other ways. And like when you're talking about in the presence of God, that is a very typical way to begin prayer when you're with people. If you're with two or three or more and they and somebody says, let's say a prayer, then somebody can start and usually does by saying, let's put ourselves in the presence of God with the understanding that God was always there, but we haven't been paying attention that all of a sudden we are in his presence. Right. And you know what I do in that case, actually, I rephrase that for that exact reason you mentioned. I say, let us take a moment and remind ourselves that we are always in the presence of God. Right. Just because mm -hmm. God doesn't go anywhere. You're always in God's presence. And you're screwing yourself up with this idea that I put God in the closet. And now I'm going to take him out or he's over here, but he's not over there. So, yeah, right. that's a great. That's a, that's another example. And ev well, everything. Mm -hmm. You go into a church, it evokes the presence of God. I'm in right. a church. You participate in a sacrament. I'm meeting God. I'm having a, an experience, sacramental experience of union with God in some way. But. The problem with that is people leave it there. Now I'm out of the church and go back to being a mobster or whatever I'm doing. So <laughs> it's one of my one of my uh, homiletic tricks, which I try to remind the people every once in a while what we're talking about and what we're doing here in Mass and then what we're talking about, what we're thinking about when we read the gospel and the other readings. Let's not forget about it when we are trying to get out of the parking lot and there's a crush at the exit. <laughs> You mean like, when we're cutting off the guy we just wished peace to? Exactly. And I'm sitting there shaking my head saying, well, I wasted yeah. my 12 hours preparing that message. Like it didn't make right. it to the street. Right. Let's take it. At <laughs> least let's get it into the parking lot. If we can, it'd be great if we could take it out of the parking lot and out onto the street and then into our homes. And you read about some of the, the prayers of monks who just pray all day long like that to keep themselves there. Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me. Repeat it over and over again. We had a little sign exiting Church of the Holy Family in Hebrew, Connecticut, that was put there by one of our deacons there. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. And it was that reminder, that last word, as you leave the parking lot, it says, entering mission territory. And the whole idea is to leave here. And I always equated that with Yukon, again, won the March Madness and got, I don't know, I think, I forget what time, the fifth, for the fifth time. But you just think of the coaches for the Yukon, both men and women, right? It's halftime. What do you think they're telling you? You think they're praising the, their team for the good job? No, they're giving them the encouragement that they need to continue the second half and to win. That's basically what the liturgy is. You're at Mass, you're getting the encouragement from the Word and Sacrament to go out into the playing field where life is tough. There's a little ditty that I heard once, I forget where, but it said, that little Johnny went to Mass, he went on every Sunday, little Johnny went to hell for what he did on Monday. That whole idea that you can't leave this behind. Uh, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Where'd you get can that say, from? Can we say hell? The Dominicans. Huh? The Dominicans. You can. <laughs> oh, you got that in college? Uh, in Providence. Oh, yeah. That yeah. sounds like something uh, the first grade sister taught you in catechism. Well, I, was, I was slow. 
Yeah, I don't know. It may sound like a first grade thing, but I'm going to repeat it this Sunday. Yeah, well, there you go. People, and that's what people will remember. They won't remember your the ontological eschaton that you went into. They'll remember that Johnny went to hell. Well, on. if you come to any mass where I happen to be preaching, and you can walk out of there saying that he just espoused a ontological eschaton, I will give you. All the money in my bank account. Because I know. That's not yeah, happening in my happening, I understand. <laughs> yeah. But Tom brings up a great point. How do we look at the liturgy? Some people think, well, this is being Catholic. I went. That's it. And then they start singing Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? Is that <laughs> all there is? And let's keep dancing. It's, no, that's not all there is. That's the halftime. That's the coaching. And then the last thing that we know as deacons that we get to do because deacons get the last word, no matter what the pastor says, <laughs> we get the last word, and we say, go. Take the field. Yeah. The mass has ended. Go. Glory. Go do what we talked about here, out there. And and that framing that Tom just gave, I think, is perfect. In my mind, it's just and it, it's, no, it is. a lot of people it, have it reversed. That No, this is the game. No, this is not the game. That, the game is out right. there. I usually use the dismissal, the masses, and to go and serve the Lord and one another. This whole idea that our relationship with God can't be complete if we're ditching our neighbor. And that's the hardest part. We've had some of our guests talk about forgiveness and how hard that is based on how life beats us up at times. But that's the tough part. Putting those teachings into practice is the most hard, is the hardest part. Going to church, getting your tickets punched. That's nice to receive the Eucharist, the bread of life, to listen to the word, good. An hour, you're done. No, there's a lot more hours in a week to put into practice yeah. what we have. To take, uh, you know, take you back to everything Dennis was saying. Yeah. What practice is, if you're, in, if you're working, if you, have, if, you, if you still have a working life, you're going to have tension and stress in that, on that job. And it's a great thing to do right before you are entering a stressful situation or about to open the door into that conference room or wherever it is you're going into, to just stop. And do that, let me put myself back. Let me remind myself, as Dennis says, that I am in the presence of God. And walk in there basically holding Jesus by the hand. It's one of my practices. It's not one of the it's not a whole practice that I was going to talk about, but that's related to what Dennis has been telling us. What how that's helped me in my life, especially in the business world, all through my life, but especially in the business world, was I happened to be a CFO when we took over two failed banks, which is again in the topic of our news today. And they are pretty uh, stressful times for all the employees, all that has to be done. And it was a great consolation to be able to have that practice of the presence, knowing that there's something much more that's greater than myself involved in doing this work and why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do here that is different in the business world than a pure capitalist would bring to the business world. And I'd really like to, to make it clear for our listeners that you were the guy who came in and helped. You're not the one who drove the bank. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, okay, yeah. Like I used to say, <laughs> going to prison. When I was in prison, yes, I was not locked up. They let me home at night, yes. I was the, uh, the team that bought out the fin failed financial institution. So, Tom, what is your number one spiritual practice that gets you through every day? Well, I hate to copy the imagination of Dennis, of his practice, but we do, uh, we're joined at the hip in many ways. But coming out of Catholic education, we go, I went to the devotional side. But that becomes a little bit empty for a while when you're trying to grow. And I don't know where I got the book. I believe I got it from a friend of mine whose relative was a priest who died, and it ended up in my library. But that same book, Practice of the Presence of God, for one, and then somewhere along the line, The Cloud of Un 
unknowing. Again, uh, uh, an anonymous 13th century writer who writes about this relationship, to have a deep and profound meaning full relationship with God is possible. And it's done in a way that you're living your life. It's a life experience. And those go along. I, that became the first as I've tried to get into more of a contemplative mind to penetrate the day, to bring us through the day. And there's so much that I've been able to do, especially with traveling back and forth, that just makes me more and more aware of God's presence fully involved in my life. And like Dennis says, it's through whom we live and move and have our being. God blinks us out of existence if, if he were to do that, which he wouldn't. But it's our connection with him that we find in nature, in the people we're with, in the situations, the stresses, the joys, the happiness. And the more I'm able to unwrap that and to be able to embrace the grace that comes in, because I think the first step in our spirituality is this is God's work. We, we respond. Our, all this effort is because we're responding to a grace that we received. We don't initiate this idea of thinking about God or being connected to him. It's God's grace that in, initiates us into action. And like Dennis said, we have to say yes, if we're to grow or not. Before we forget, if anyone listening to this would like to read The Cloud of Unknowing, I have good news for you. Tom, how old was your book? Was yours in the Middle English stuff, Joffrey Chaucer edition? I happen to have, have it a here because day? I keep it with me. How old is it? I'd say it's about no. 100 years old. Yeah. There are newer, my point is, I have two points. Anyone yep. wants to see what this cloud of unknowing stuff, because it sounds, ooh, that's really mystical stuff. And I remember hearing that at a secular college when I was a freshman, someone said something about it, and I looked into it like, ooh, what's that about? But anyway, and I couldn't read it at all, because it was written in 13th century yeah. English, which was the original. And it was like, if you ever had to read Chaucer, in the original or something as an exercise in literature class. It's holy macro. It's like German or something, but it's not like English. We know. So anyway, there are, there are new translations of this that are very easy to read in modern English. So look around for those. Polish Press, of course, and they have a great edition. And of course, they're, they have a whole series on all kinds of stuff, spiritual. That's just unbelievable that you should look at. But anyways, there are newer, better, easier to understand ones so you can get the practice. And also, if you Google centering prayer, the Trappists have taken the practices of the cloud and they have distilled it into, well, here's how you do it. And we call that today centering prayer. You may hear that bandied around. That's what it is. It's the cloud of unknowing's teaching. So you can check that out. So I just want to throw that out because that's a great resource, Tom. I wanted to make sure people could and, access and, it. In my life, it's uh, as ordained. We have to commit ourselves to the divine office, morning, evening prayers. And so sometimes we get the office we're reading. And so there's some of the mechanical things that we do that bring us into the text and scripture, which are good. Yeah. Well, my number one is the liturgy of the hours. If you're new to Catholic spirituality, maybe you've heard it called something else. We have, as Tom just mentioned, there's morning prayer, there's evening prayer, there's night prayer. It used to have a, names like Vespers and Laud and other names, but those names have actually been put to the side now. But the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, which, Tom, as Tom mentioned, clergy are supposed to pray every day. When I say supposed to, I hate to say use the word required. But it's part of being clergy that you read and pray the divine office, the liturgy of the hours. 
But it, it is a staple for me for a number of reasons, which I can explain. And let me tell you what the Liturgy of the Hours is if you have really no knowledge of it. There's morning prayer, and the morning and evening prayer and night prayer, all the prayers actually, are centered around the Psalms. The Psalms are presented to you. You read the Psalms. There's three of them in the morning. There's three of them at night. Sometimes the Psalm is replaced by another reading from the New Testament. And then there's a reading of the day, which is usually one of Paul's letters, but it comes, um, they, sometimes Peter's letters are, are, put, are inserted there, depending on the season. And there's responses, and then there are canticles. The canticle in the morning and in the evening is the Mary's prayer. And it's a very rote prayer, but it's the kind of prayer that you can get into and pray very quietly and pray very slowly or pray very quickly if you're in a hurry. And they're there not only for morning, evening, and night, but also mid-morning, noon, and mid-afternoon if you're so inclined and you need more prayer at any given time. And that's one of the reasons why I like it. I think the, the Liturgy of the Hours not only is a good spiritual practice because it keeps you centered in the Scripture and it keeps you centered in God, but it also can help you when you're in a really bad place because you don't have to think about anything. The Liturgy of the Hours is there to lift us up, I think. First of all, I'm always thrilled by the fact that it is the prayer of the church so that at any given time, millions of people are praying the same prayer around the world. Clergy and non-clergy as well are praying the Liturgy of the Hours. So I'm always in communion with other people in prayer, being heard by God. But if I'm particularly down, if I'm particularly anxious, if I'm particularly sad, I find it a comfort to just go to the breviary, which is the book that holds the Liturgy of the Hours, and pray those prayers because I know they're always there. They're constant. And yes, they are the same. There's four different weeks. So you pray one week, then you pray week two, then week three, and week four, and then you begin again. So if you've prayed these for a lifetime, you begin to almost memorize some of the Psalms, certainly the canticles, which you pray the same every day. To me, it's a very calming, calming exercise. I got it before I was a deacon because my father-in-law, who was a deacon, went out and bought what's called a shorter breviary, which only has the morning and the evening prayer, not, nothing else. And he gave one to me and he gave one to his son, my brother-in-law and said, I'd love it if we could all pray this together. And so I became aware of the Liturgy of the Hours some years before I entered the diaconate. And it was in coming into the diaconate that I found, oh, this is what all clergy pray, which was nice. So my number one spiritual practice, because it's always there, I don't want to overstate this. I want to be honest about this. Sometimes I'm too busy, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm too distracted, and I don't pray every morning prayer. I don't pray every evening prayer. I don't pray every night prayer. But what I love about the Liturgy of the Hours is if I miss one, if I skip one, if I'm too mad to pray one, too angry, in a few hours I can pray the next one because it's always there. It's always there. And it's always there for me to pick up and hold. And for our listeners, if you don't want to buy a book, and by the way, it comes in a four-volume set, which is maybe expensive. It comes in a one-volume set, one-volume edition. But you can also get it online. There's a lot of places to get online, and I believe most of the online places are actually free. Right. They use my online app. It's called iBreviary. Okay. iBreviary. 
I, and yeah, uh, it's yeah. free. And you just put it on your phone and right. hit today and away you go. I would just like to underscore something for the listeners. I have found over the years talking to people, that is a real neuralgic point. They get, don't tell me what to do. We all become 14. Well, here's the thing. Anything you want to do, there is something required in your doing it. Whether someone in authority tells you or you figure it out on your own, you got to do stuff for the activity. So, for example, you're going to play sports. It's not unreasonable that the coach says you have to come to practice. We don't even question that. But we do when it comes to some priest or something saying, well, you need to do this. Well, who are you to tell me? I'm not, you know, okay, you're not dad. You're not the boss of me, right? It's, okay, we got to watch our 14-year-old selves and keep it in check. If I want to play the guitar or something, the music teacher isn't making me. He's not punishing me if I don't. But by his or her authority as the music teacher, they're saying, you're not going to be able to play it if you don't ever practice it. It's just not going to happen. And it's the same thing with a prayer life. The spiritual life is, first of all, a life. It's the same thing. It has the same, not only ups and downs, but it requires practice. And so I think what Drew was talking about, which we all do, of course, is a very good thing. It is required. And I don't have a problem with that because I know why it's required. And it's also an appointment. I also know from bitter experience that if you're not on my calendar, there's a good chance this ain't going to happen. And the other thing is, last thing on the soapbox, and people say, well, this is not spontaneous prayer. Spontaneity is highly overrated. You got to be in the right frame of mind to be spontaneous. Drew's talking about people burying their parents. They're not going to be spontaneous, but their comfort's going to be in saying those prayers that are familiar, mumbling them through the numbness of the death of their parents. And that happens to all of us. And it's not just death of your parents. There's plenty of days when it's, I, ain't, I don't have it in the tank. So relying on spontaneity, if I only did what I felt like doing, I wouldn't do much. I'd be probably still in bed. So we need to all be a little bit more adult about it and realize that things are required by their nature to be good at anything, including spirituality. And no one's making you do it. You either do it or you don't do it. But if you want the results, you put in well, the work. It's like anything it, else. It, it, Dennis, the way I like to say that sometimes is it reminds me of when we talk about mass. The mass is an obligation. Sunday is a holy day of obligation. And, and I frequently tell people, you can look at it that way, or you can look at it that it's a holy day of opportunity. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And we, we can go to mass every day. But it's the same thing with the prayer. And I use the same analogy for myself with the prayer. There it is. There's the Liturgy of the Hours. What an opportunity to get down and pray the Psalms, the Psalms that have been prayed for thousands of years that give comfort to people who are in trouble like we are. And when you talk about that spontaneity, Dennis, I couldn't agree with you more. If it weren't for the Liturgy of the Hours, there were days in the pandemic I would not have known what to pray or what to say. So, Dennis, right, my turn. What, what's your number two? Number two, Isaac Hacker slash Louis Lalemont, which is where Hacker got most of his stuff from. Father Louis Lalemont, SJ, when Hacker was a new Catholic, when he was really wrestling with this stuff and trying to square his own experience of spirituality with Catholicism, which he was quite interested in and favorable towards, but he still had some areas where he couldn't fit it. 
Lalamont's teaching on the place of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person is what did it. And you can read Lalamont and find exactly the same things, almost word for word, in Hecker. So I would say that the second thing that I use after the presence of God all the time is, and it's like another form of the presence of God practice, actually, is being attentive to the Holy Spirit. You know, that Isaac Hecker, the founder of the Paulist Fathers, servant of God, is on his way to sainthood now. And he had a very American spirituality that was very free and open and it's accessible to anyone. And it basically comes down to get the Holy Spirit, step one. Listen to the Holy Spirit, step two. Do what the Holy Spirit told you to do, step three. And then other than that, knock yourself. You know, you go out to that big Catholic buffet of spirituality. And if you want to say the rosary or do the stages of the cross or pick up a little Franciscan spirituality, it's all good. You do you, boo. But this is the core. This is, and this is the engine that drives it all, is the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's the Paulist. So I would say it's, I guess, another form of the practice of the presence of God, doing God's will, getting out of the way, watching my ego, watching my interior impulses and thoughts and stuff and all the things that, when you look back at it, where did I go wrong? Well, about the time you took the wheel, Dolan, that's <laughs> when we went off the track. Up until then, it was going pretty good. So I, the second thing I got is the Holy Spirit and the Isaac Hecker's teaching on the Holy Spirit. But who is, you mentioned somebody prior to that. Lalamont. You, yeah, who is that? Can you give us a spelling of that? L-A-L-E-M-A-N-T, I believe. Okay. Louis Lalamont, and the book is The Spiritual Doctrine of Louis Lalamont, which is written in the 1600s. And it was in every religious house of formation for 400. The, the Paulist Press was putting it out, I think, in right up to Vatican II or whatever. And it is from another time and place, and you do have to sift through. But there's still gold in there, and it's very clearly, pre which is what I like, it's very clearly presented, that chapter he has on the Holy Spirit. Now, Lalamont is also a Frenchman of the 1600s, and some of the stuff is just, well, it's just not, it's not good. He, exa he exaggerates. I mean, he has a good point in that he says, for example, yeah, okay, you're not committing mortal sins, but the reason that the Holy Spirit is not working in you, because you're saying, well, I go to Mass, I go to communion, where's all this Holy Spirit stuff and the, the gifts? And the, He says, you're being held down by your venial sins. you got so many venial sins that this is what's keeping the, the gifts of the Spirit from being effective. You're blocking them. It's kind of like Gulliver. You're tied down you're by tied all these down. little threads. <laughs> it's not a big one, a chain. It's these, all these little threads, and you've got to break them. Okay, good point. Fair enough. I like it. But then he goes on to talk about venial sin as if it were just, a, if it was a felony. And it's not. A venial sin is a venial sin. It is not a mortal sin. So he kind of laughs. So he does some stuff like that you got to watch. But there's a lot of good stuff in there. And if you know anything about Hecker, you go, well, that's where yeah, he got I, Look at this. It's right there. This is where he got it from. Tom, what about you? What is your number two? Lexio Divino. So uh, you talked to Drew about times that you can't get into the liturgy of the hours, like you're having a bad day, busyness and stuff like that. But especially when you get into emotional situations, the same thing happens. It's like when you can't deal with the stress or something and everybody's on your nerves. What I do when I get a little bit more calm is to then look up a 
uh, passage on stress. Why are you stressed? Do not let your heart speak trouble. And I'll just try and ponder that. And the whole process of Lectio Divina is you read a passage, a couple sentences, you reflect on it, meditate on those words, dialogue with God about what they mean, where I am right now in that state, why I'm in that state. And then contemplate, just see where the good Lord leads you. Just to try and break the funk that you got into, or I got myself into, or why I feel the way I do, the emotional aspect of our lives, and find consolation in that. So that's, I don't know when that practice actually began. When did Alexio Divino begin? Benedictine monks, as far as I know, back in in monastic. Well, even before that, it's the Desert Fathers, some of that developed. Okay, so way back, yes. It's it's two years old. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's tried and true. I think that's the great part about when you talk about the tradition of the church, maybe small capital T, really. Capital. These things work. It's like the rosary. Why? What's with the rosary? Like devotional, it might not be a cup of tea, but that whole idea of repetitive prayer, bringing us into a, a, a contemplative state, that a mantra that would be used in other Litany forms of the of, saints. Correct. Same thing. That, uh, and I used to use that in prison to men who were having a hard time and They'd wake up and they'd come to me, hey, Deke, I wake up, I'm in a sweat, I'm reliving my past, and how can you help me? And we couldn't give out rosaries, you couldn't have that. They'd have to get it in the commissary and buy it. But I just said, well, use your fingers, you have 10 fingers. And just when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're in a sweat, and you're in a state of anger and frustration, you know, just start saying, hail Mary, full of grace, and just breathe and let yourself go. And there you I go. got several men come back to me and said, Deke, that's, I was able to get back to sleep. I, I slept last night. It's calming. It's grace-filled. Drew brought up another form of that, of the mantra kind of prayer, which is the the Jesus prayer. Lord yeah. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. And yeah. it repeated over and over. I mean, we have all this stuff. That's the amazing thing to me. When I always took, a, whenever I took a world religion class and we, taught, we studied Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, I would sit there as a Catholic and say, we got that. Oh, we got that. Hermits. Yeah, we got hermits. Yeah, we get beads. Yep, we do that. Mantra, we have it repetitive. It's like I realized I appreciated the tradition because it's like I'm. this is the super buffet. This is the buffet at the casino, man, that I'm at. I'm not at some little bodega where here we got this and that's it. Take it or leave it. I mean, you have this big buffet of spiritual practices and spiritualities and approaches to, to following Jesus. Like you said, the rosary may not be your cup of tea. But we've got your cup of tea on this table somewhere. You might want to go around the other side of the buffet and try a few of those dishes. And most Catholics are just starving at this buffet. Well, that, yeah, that's the sad again, part. They don't read the bulletin and say, I'm going to this. I'm going to go to this talk. I'm going to talk to this person. It's like I go to mass, check the box, go back. And you, and then it's like, well, why isn't this working? <laughs> Wouldn't work for me. I don't, I'm guessing. That's why it's not working for you. And I don't know whether in today's culture we're looking for instant gratification with this stuff which I don't think is even possible, given our understanding of holiness. It might be, but it's a long-haul commitment. And, and a lot of times you go through a desert experience where it's dry, you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. But that's an opportunity for reflection and to, to again, remember that God is with us even through this. this. I'm just going to mention something which I thought about mentioning and then I decided, nah, probably not. But now that you say it, instant gratification. I agree. I agree. This, this is a lifelong journey. This is a lifelong journey. But I will give you one example, at least in my life, very personal, of instant gratification. And that is when I sit down to pray in the morning or at night, 
And usually it would be the Liturgy of the Hours, but not always. It might be some type of Lectio Divina or some other spiritual reading that I'm doing. I've done this several times and tested it out. My blood pressure drops. I measure my blood pressure before I pray, and I measure it after I pray. Now, that sounds stupid. Take my word for it. It was a little bit necessary at one point in my life. (laughs) And my blood pressure actually drops after prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is working a miracle other than the miracle of I am closer to God in prayer, and therefore I feel better and my body feels better. Well, they have scientific proof on this. I recall reading about the Tibetan monks who were had the brainwave put on their head. And so they let these guys go. And when they measured their brainwave activity in the middle of their meditation, their contemplation, they were just like on fire. So there's, yeah, there's... Yeah, they've run that with Catholic nuns and with people who pray. And there's all kinds of... There are huge benefits, physical benefits, mental health benefits. Never mind heaven. Right here, right now, the psychological literature around the world is full of it. Google it. I think that's the practice of mindfulness now. Why is mindfulness and yoga getting caught up? Because these are beneficial health aspects. So I guess my number two would be spiritual reading in general. And I think it's always good to have something by your bedside or on your reading table that you can pick up and will take you deeper into our faith, deeper into God, and deeper into your life as it interacts with God. And there's just so much out there. We could spend two or three different episodes just listing readings. But one that comes to mind that I put on my list and how to get into this, again, are there are periodicals. When we talk about the Liturgy of the Hours and the Divine Office, there are peri- periodicals that are like that. Give Us This Day, which is published by Liturgical Press, and the Magnificat is a slightly older one. They both along the same lines. They have a psalm that you can read during the day. They have a morning prayer and an evening prayer, and they have the Mass of the Day printed in them with the readings for the day. All that is there that you can go to. What I like about Give Us This Day are they have reflections every day about the daily readings. They're only a page, a half a page sometimes, but a page by really great spiritual writers, old and new, living and dead. So that's one way to get into it. And I have that always close by. It is also online. You can get Give Us This Day online. Another little spirit, it's not really spiritual reading, but it's a podcast that I like. And it's Pray As You Go. It's put out by the Jesuits, I think, in England. But I may be wrong about that. It may be Ireland. It's one of the two, which is very easy to pick up. It's free. It's about 11 minutes long. They read a scripture, and then they give a reflection. And I find it very helpful when I'm driving to work because my commute is about 30 minutes. This part, Each episode takes no longer than 12 minutes. But that kind of spiritual reading. And then I have to put a plug in. I'm sorry. It's it's not really a plug. It's because I am so enamored with the book. But one of our prior episodes, we interviewed Father Mark David Janis. He's a Paulist priest. He's the president of Paulist Press. And this last Lenten season, he published a book called Mercy, Not Sacrifice, Lenten Daily Reflections. Now, we're out of that season and you have another year to go. But I think you should get prepped for next Lenten season by going out and getting this book because it's one of the best daily spiritual books I've ever read in my life. I'm sorry for being so glowing about it, but I just really 
relied on it once I got into it every day. Uh, it's a worthy uh, book. That's right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think I gave the money back guarantee on that yeah, one, if I'm not that's mistaken. True, true. I want to applaud what Drew said because I was thinking about spiritual reading. And by that, I mean anything. I don't just mean the Bible. People always think you're talking about the Bible. And of course, that is spiritual reading. I'm not saying Oh, yes, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Nobody put the Bible on their list. That's great. Oh, but go ahead. I'm sorry, Dennis. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're Catholics. We're not Baptists. <laughs> We wrote the book. We don't need to carry it around all the time. Anyway, <laughs> history, I can't, hey, history. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I kid my Baptist friends. No, easy. I that kid was... them. They kid me. It's I'm a former Baptist, and I take the joke. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, spiritual reading, I didn't even think of that because that is so ingrained in my actual practice. As soon as you said it, I said, oh, my no. God, that's not even on my list. Yeah. And when I would have, Tom's talking about the guys waking up in a sweat in prison, when I was also a prison chaplain, like Tom, and we'd often have these discussions on spirituality because a lot of these guys, they have addiction issues and women, they have addiction issues. And of course, that's the 12 steps is a spiritual way of healing from that. And the 11th step is you have to deepen your relationship with God. That's the 11 of the 12 steps. So they would come to me and say, so what can I do? And you talk about, you ask them some questions, and it's, I got nothing. I'm running on empty, blah, 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 blah. And I, so my first question was, well, what are you reading? They said, what do you mean? Well, what are you, your spiritual reading. That's always my first question. What are you reading? Nothing. Okay, so this is, you're coming to a mechanic saying, my car doesn't work. So the mechanic's first question is, you got gas in it? Before we tear it apart, it, did you put gas in the car? So. It's, it's a basic thing, Drew. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's so basic, I didn't think of it. I've got books going all the time. You kid me about, well, oh, Dennis knows this, Dennis knows that. Almost everything I ever throw out there has come from the practice of reading 20 minutes a night before I go to bed at night and picking this stuff up. So I recommend it highly. Very important. Yeah, it's the last thing I do at night is, and I take forever to read a book. And like I said, I don't know if we have time for, but one more book I'd like to, especially if you are one of those Catholics who, or one of those people who are thinking of coming into the Catholic Church or one of those people who are thinking of leaving the Catholic Church, I'd like to recommend a book to you about prayer. And that is one also we've talked about on this podcast, and we had Father James Martin on the podcast, but his last book, Learning to Pray is a great, great introduction, or more, really. It's more than an introduction to prayer. It's, it will tell you a lot of what we've talked about, and I think there's even some things in there on prayer that Dennis doesn't know. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Except he read the books, now he knows it. So. Yeah. No, this is a good step-by-step, -step, which we need that step-by-step. -step. This yeah. is one of the things that we don't do. We say things like, well, pray. And we right. really don't. I preach on praying and how to pray every excuse I get in a Sunday reading. And it always, because people don't know how to do it. We keep assuming. Well, no, they don't. So that is an excellent book by Jim Martin. So we are coming up against the clock here, gentlemen. So let's move this along and we'll shorten it up. And which probably, I think I hear the audience cheering. <laughs> you guys can go on forever, which we can, because it's just like that day of obligation thing. Here's how you know where you are in your spiritual life. Going to Mass, it's an obligation. That's how it begins. My mother made me go. And when I was a teenager, I resented it. But then once Jesus became real to me, it became the day of opportunity that Drew's talking about. And it's just like being married. Every married man, because 
we all know scummy guys. And so you get it. You listen to some guys saying, yeah, it's my anniversary. I suppose I should buy the old lady something. I've heard many men talk like that. And that was serious. I wasn't even a joke. I kept waiting for the joke. There was no joke. Yeah. And of course, I'm thinking, gee, that's too bad. I love my wife. I, can't, I hope I can think of something good to give her. <laughs> yeah, I don't got it. It's not a duty. I want to. And it's the same thing. The balance shifts as you grow spiritually from this is something I got to do that someone in authority is making me do to no, this is something I want to do. I don't miss mass because I don't feel right. And I don't mean guilty. I just, I feel like I am missing something. It's just like, I get a chance to kiss the old lady. I'm going to kiss her. I've been known to dance in the kitchen with my wife for no reason. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. That's a great metaphor yeah. for mass. If I get a chance to kiss the old lady, I'm going to kiss her. And uh, so, geez, I, This yeah. is the good of having married clergy here like us. See, we can get into this stuff. All right. So number three for me is solitude. The practice of solitude, finding some time alone every day. Sometimes I got to get up before, and I had a bunch of kids and stuff, so I would get up early with a cup of coffee, and that's actually when I would do the breviary, the liturgy of the hours or whatever, and I, when I was waking up and having the cup of coffee. But I always got time alone. Of course, the commute's another time. Turn the radio off and just be there in the moment. Feel your rear end in that seat. I, would, I didn't have a terrible commute. I had a nice commute through the countryside, actually, so it wasn't like a white-knuckle driving like maybe Drew has to do. But those opportunities for solitude are sometimes I stay up later just to have it. And I got that from the Camaldolese, which is a group of hermits. They are Benedictine hermits. If you want to see, oh, wow, or you're looking for a place to go on retreat, go to the Google machine and Google contemplation.com. Contemplation.com. And when you see the view that these guys have overlooking the Pacific from Big Sur, if you can't find God there, I, there's nothing for you. You know what I mean? This is it. This is pretty nice. So I hooked up with these guys many moons ago, and they've taught me to appreciate solitude. I'm not a hermit, I'm not a monk. I'm a very busy deacon with, with daughters and grandchildren and everything. But it probably means I need a little bit of solitude more. So I've learned that from them. So that's an important part of my practice is getting a little, and it might be 20 minutes, it might be a half hour, it might be sometimes, it might be the afternoon when the Nana goes to bingo. Hey, I got an hour here, <laughs> two hours. <laughs> Tom's laughing. That's it. Saint bingo, yes. Well, I'll just wrap up with my little thought is the Ignatian spirituality of examination of conscience, to be able to think during the day and at times, especially at night, to reflect on upon a day where things went well, where things didn't go well, how I can improve. And again, that whole movement to be the best version of myself that my spirituality will allow in the light of faith. So it's a quiet time to be able to think about the day and how it's been and how I responded to the events that happened. So that would be my third or whatever number. Ron, <laughs> it was, it's three. And, and that's a great one. And I have it on my list too. I'll just wrap up with the Mass. Dennis talked about the Mass a little bit, and I won't reiterate that, but I find a lot of spiritual comfort in the Mass. And I understand that sometimes, and we're going to talk about that this in an upcoming show, and that is why people sometimes try to avoid Mass or do avoid Mass. And so I'm not going to give away anything about that show, but I, do, I will just say that the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist go together like peanut butter and jelly. No, really, they're just, they're perfect for me. And I love mass. 
And I love hearing other people read. I love hearing other people preach. It's not because I'm sitting up there on the altar. It's because I feel the presence of God totally, totally in mass, which is the way it's supposed to be. It's who we are as Catholics. But and the, your ability to do that comes from these daily practices where you're not just sitting there putting your hour in. We're thinking mm-hmm. about, I got to mow the lawn, whatever. You are. You have learned through your practices to take in the word, to apply it to yourself, to let something jump out at you, let the spirit give you a little something to chew on and all that. Don't you think that's a, Yep. that comes out of the daily practice? Liturgy? I think it does. I think it does. And who knows, I'm at this stage in my life where it all, it's all good. It's all good. And I love math. And with that, I think we probably should say goodbye to our beloved listeners. Well, first, we want to give them two places and, well, three things. One is the examine that Tom was talking about. Go to the Google machine if you want to see what that is. That's pretty short and easy. E-X-A-M-E-N, the examine. Google it. It'll come up. Plenty of places. And the other thing is, if you want to develop your spirituality, my two favorite places are Liturgical Press, their books. They have a ton of stuff. And the other is Paulus Press. And they're not saying that just because they're affiliated with us. I have always loved Paulus Press. They publish so much stuff, such a wide range of stuff on anything that you could possibly be interested in. And it's all quality. So go online, Paulus, P-A-U-L-I-S-T, press.org, I believe is what it is. And you'll find something for your spiritual reading or a how-to, a practice, a particular approach. That's why I love being Catholic. This is it right here. This is the reason I'm hanging around. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've we got just, all this stuff available yeah. to us if we want to. We just want to delve into it. You got to open it up. All right. Thank you, guys. For Thank everything. you, Drew. Yeah. Thank you for nice everything you. you bring. Thank you for everything you bring to me. And Have our listeners, life. if they have any comments, to drop us a line. Right. That's right. That's the address is at the end of the pod. And Drew, as always, thank you for just being you. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) Indeed. Have a good day. Okay, guys. Bye now. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.